Hey, everybody, we are jumping into the dialogue portion of the book of Job. Job's friends are going to be talking with him. Job's going to pipe up here in chapter 3, and he's he's going to say, uh, it says in chapter 3, verse 1, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. And it the entire chapter is Job going to be sharing his frustration, uh, why he even came to be. Verse 11, why did I not die at birth, come out of the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me? Uh, he that's That's all of chapter 3 is... Basically, Job talking about how his creation should have become decreation. And there there may well be an interesting parallel with what Job is saying in chapter 3 and the creation that God speaks of in, in chapters 38 through 41. I think there's probably pretty intentional parallel mirroring going on between them. So after Job shares his frustration at the fact that he even is alive, Job's friends are going to then begin to talk. So what I, I want to do today is reflect on the philosophy that Job's friends will be giving. And what I'm going to do is read an article to you guys that I think really does a nice job of summarizing the points that actually Walton and Longman have in their commentary. So I will post this link uh, as I often do when I read an article to you guys, but it's really helpful to um, to process some of the things going on in, in the book of Job and the way in which Job's friends are going to handle Job's situation. So why, why are Job's friends convinced that Job has done something wrong. You and I know he hasn't. So I'll, I'll begin reading. The book of Job is not about Job, at least primarily. It is about God. And it's not about suffering. After all, suffering is certainly not explained in Job. Instead, it's about justice. It's about God's justice. The crucial question is, is God just? Is God fully just in the way he runs the cosmos? So that's that's the big idea um, that uh, the book of Job is going to be addressing. And here are two key ideas, I'm going to read from the article, that the, the friends of Job are using in their evaluation of his circumstance. The first one is called the retribution principle. The retribution principle is simply stated, the righteous will prosper and the wicked will suffer. The oft appended corollary is that if someone suffers, they are wicked. And if someone prospers, they are righteous. That's a quote from Walton and Longman's commentary. For the nations of Israel, right behavior was primarily understood in ritual terms, and the gods were unpredictable, and their actions often mysterious and unintelligible. There was a fair bit of guesswork involved. 
I don't know if I read that right, but for the nations around Israel, that was the mentality. In Israel, ethical considerations were more important than ritual ones. And there was, of course, only one God. And he was never moody or fickle. But otherwise, the retribution principle was fully considered to be accurate. This is how God ruled the world. It is also how he should (laughs) rule the world. There are numerous examples of wisdom texts from the ancient Near East that deal with the enigma of the pious sufferers. And that reflects exactly this understanding. They are sometimes considered parallels to the book of Job. But what makes Job different is, A, a strong focus on righteousness rather than mere ritual, B, Job's insistence on his innocence, and C, the fact that God is not offended for some utterly mysterious reason and therefore does not need to be appeased by some ritual or otherwise. Number two, the great symbiosis. The ancient world believed that the gods had needs such as food and housing in the form of sacrifices and temples, and that humans had been created to take care of those needs. In return, the gods were expected to provide and protect their worshipers. The great symbiosis assumed that people served the gods so that the gods could serve them and vice versa. The book of Job reflects this principle. (coughs) Pardon me. And strictly speaking, Israel should have rejected it as well. After all, God has no needs that humans need to provide for, and, and he is worthy to be served for who he is, not for what the worshiper expects to get in return. However, Job's friends, by and large, seem to expect things to work this way. Serve God, do well, and you will experience his blessing. No doubt, in this they resemble the large majority of Israel. Now, there are three central questions in the book of Job. Um, What is the book of Job about? One way to put this is, with these three questions two related to God and one to humans. The first question concerns God's essential nature. The second question concerns the way he deals with the world, his policies or principles. And the third question probes the motivations of humans. It is much less obvious and prominent and therefore easy to miss, but it is a foundational importance because it helps us understand that the answer to the second question cannot be simple or straightforward in the end. The book radically reframes the question about God. So number one, God's nature. Is God just? The answer is yes, but no real defense is given in the book of Job. Number two, God's policies. How can righteous people suffer or wicked people prosper? This is the primary question in the debate at least if we accept Job's persistent claim that he is innocent. Otherwise, the answer is simple. Job's friends would be right. However, we know from the start that that's not the case because both the narrator 
and God himself affirm Job is blameless. No explanation is given, but the book will tell us what to do. Trust his wisdom. Question three, why do people who serve God do so? In the case of Job, why is Job righteous? The way Satan poses, or the Satan, poses the question is, does Job serve or fear God for nothing? Put like this, it is hardly a question. Without a doubt, so, Satan, Job uh, is in it for the benefits. Notice that why is Job righteous is very different from why does Job suffer. The latter question is not answered in the book, why he suffers. But already in chapter 2, it is abundantly clear that Job will indeed serve God for nothing. The third question is crucial. If we want to evaluate the retribution principle by which God presumably rules the world, is it a good principle? Won't this lead people to doing the right things for the wrong reason, to obtain the benefits, not to practice righteousness. In Satan's view, God's policy of blessing righteous people is flawed because it seems to buy people's loyalty and righteousness. Won't it produce hypocrisy on a massive scale? Even more important, the third question points the way to the right attitude. This was Job's challenge. Now it's our challenge. Will we serve God for nothing? And so uh, the debate begins, the dialogue. And the article here says, starting on page 23 of their book, Walton and Longman present a simple but fascinating model to explain the debate in Job. It's a triangle. The corners represent the following. So at the top of the triangle, we have God's justice. The bottom left corner, the retribution principle, and the bottom right corner, Job's status. Job's friends have no doubts about the retribution principle or about God's justice. So there's only one conclusion possible. Job is guilty. Their defense of the retribution principle increasingly turns dogmatic. They insist with growing bluntness that Job is at fault, accusing him of heinous crimes without producing a shred of evidence. I'm just going to pause right here. As we get into the three cycles over the next three lessons, I guess one of the things that I want us to consider uh, along with just the topic of the book, is do we sometimes hold so firmly to an idea, <clears throat> especially ideas about God, the Bible, theology, and do we hold those so firmly to the point where there might be a problem? I guess what I'm calling for, as I often do, is a call for humility and the, the courage for us to be ready to be wrong. 
So that's something in my life that I'm really trying to work on. Uh, I want to be ready to be wrong. There are certain things I'm staking my flag on, uh, and that would be Jesus rising from the dead, that uh, Jesus died for our sins, the Trinity, as much as I can understand that. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stake my flag on, on those ideas. But there's a lot of things, guys, that it's okay if I'm wrong about with my understanding of God or a theology, my interpretation of a chapter in the Bible, ethical issues. So maybe we'll let Job's friends function as a mirror for us. What are things that we are holding to so firmly that maybe we don't need to be holding on to? Okay, I'm back to the article. Job, on the other hand, insists that he's innocent and wants to argue his case before God. This cannot be right, and the fault is not with him. Job stops short of directly accusing God of being unjust, but he gets close. He also questions the retribution principle, observing that often enough righteous people suffer and wicked people prosper. But then, since God is in charge, this likewise places a question mark next to God's justice. When God speaks at the end of the book, he does not speak of his justice, but of his greatness and his wisdom. The retribution principle is not entirely wrong. After all, it does match who God is, his character, even if not what God does. However, it is far too shallow and simplistic to summarize the profound ways in which God deals with the world. The fundamental error underlying the retribution principle is the assumption that God deals with the world in a straightforward manner based on his justice, and that therefore whatever happens must be straightforward reflection and expression of this. Things are not that simple. The book of Job proposes an alternative. The world's operation is based not on justice, but on wisdom. In this way, the book reframes the fundamental issue and turns it into a defense, not of God's justice, but of his wisdom. Here's a quote from Walton and Longman's commentary. God's wisdom is the key to the book's message. As readers are impressed with the wisdom of God, they are encouraged to trust him rather than to try to figure out why he is doing what he does. Rather than seeking explanations that will verify his justice, the response to God should be to trust the way he has chosen to have the world operate. Trust him regarding the circumstances that come into our lives and trust that his ways are always the best ways. Chapter 28, the wisdom that is decisive, that is the decisive category to think about, the questions raised by the book of Job, finds confirmation in chapter 28. In beautiful poetry, it lists how various minerals and precious stones are searched and mined by humans. Then it asks where wisdom can be found. The answer is that no one knows except for God, 
who gives humans a derived secondary wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. This wisdom does not consist of understanding things, but of knowing how to relate to God, trusting his wisdom. Obviously, this is a key insight supporting the book's main point. On the surface, it appears that chapter 28 is spoken by Job because there are no markers in the text that tell us there's an interruption or a change of speaker. However, the content of chapter 28 does not fit Job's outlook or the flow of his argument in chapter 27. It is therefore quite possible that chapter 28 is an assertion, uh, insertion by the author or editor of the book, in which he provides the key to the answer that leaves much unexplained, but that does convey a way to live. Job's three friends represent conventional wisdom. They speak what was the accepted norm at that time. They fully support the retribution principle and hold a modified form of the great symbiosis. God is angry, and therefore Job should appease him. The three have much in common. Um, are, they, uh, also, are there also differences among them? Um, Walton and Longman, they, they think so. <clears throat> I'll just finish with this. Some have used labels that echo modern philosophical approaches. One common proposal identifies Eliphaz as the mystic, Bildad as the traditionalist, and Zophar as the rationalist. These modern categories may not be far off the mark in general terms, but we should recognize that rationalism is probably not a viable category for ancient Near Eastern thinking. Alternatively, we could suggest that Eliphaz gives most weight to his personal experiences. Bildad relies on the wisdom of the ages, and Zophar is most inclined to understand in a system of thinking in which everything is black and white. The important point is to see that the three friends represent different perspectives, though they all agree on the conclusion that Job is suffering because he's a sinner. We'll get to Elihu uh, later on. Uh, so I think I'll stop there in my reading of the article. So hopefully the recognition of the ideas of that time, the retribution principle, and the great symbiosis <clears throat> will be helpful in forming a background, guys, for how we understand what Job's friends are going to say to him. So if you can, again, just remember that triangle of claims. At the top, we have uh, God's justice. In the bottom left, we have the retribution principle. And then in the bottom right, we have the status of Job. And Job is going to be convinced that his status is just. And so it will be the retribution principle and God's justice that will be in doubt for Job. Job's friends will not doubt God's justice or the retribution principle. And so it'll be Job's status that will be in doubt. He must have done something wrong. God is going to chime in. And his critique will not be in Job's status, nor in his justice. But it seems that God will be 
indirectly critiquing the retribution principle. That his justice is reflected in a straightforward mathematical equation. And I think the book of Job is going to present to us it's just not that simple. We need a more nuanced way of evaluating God's justice in this world. And so that's what we'll continue to process and think about as we go on. Thank you.